Before I begin, I would like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation as the traditional custodians of the land on which this work was developed and is presented. I pay my respect to Elders past, present and emerging. Hello and welcome back to the Community Library, a podcast and book club for anyone interested in stories and how and why we tell them. I'm your host, Angowri Rice. Here we are at the end of another month. It feels like it has gone by so quickly. Uh, at least it has for me. Um, this month was really exciting for me because a show I'm in called Mayor of Easttown was released towards the end of April. So I spent much of April doing publicity in anticipation of the release. Uh, and now it's out. It's out in the world. Well, the first two episodes are. So doing publicity was exciting, uh, but also draining. <laughs> and the weeks just flew by because of that. I was just so busy. I'm really excited for this show to be out in the world. Uh, it's been a long time coming. We had to shut down because of COVID. So it's so nice for it to finally be out there. Um, so if you're interested in watching it, a new episode comes out every week on HBO in the US, Binge and Foxtel in Australia and Sky Atlantic in the UK. Okay, self-promo over, I promise. <laughs> so as a result of doing lots of publicity, um, my reading and the podcast had to take a back seat. I was also just in a massive reading slump <laughs> this month. Uh, it carried over from the end of March. I managed to read five books in April, uh, which is a big difference from April 2020, in which I read 14 books. <laughs> Uh, that was the start of lockdown in Melbourne, so it makes sense that I read 14 books in April just trying to escape the world. Uh, so it's weird to reflect on that and think that a year later I'm out and about doing things and I'm too busy to read. I, I feel so fortunate that, um, yeah, a year later and so much has changed for the better in Melbourne. Uh, so as I said, I was in a reading slump. I guess I still kind of am, <laughs> which didn't help my reading this month. I didn't really feel motivated to read much. And when I was reading, I found it really difficult to concentrate on physical books. So most of the books I read this month were via audio. Thankfully, though, I managed to finish our book club pick before the month was up. And of course, that's what we're here to talk about today. Our book club pick for April was Disfigured on Fairy Tales, Disability and Making Space by Amanda Leduc. This is a nonfiction book about uh, exactly what the subtitle says it's about. <laughs> Amanda Leduc, who has cerebral palsy, discusses the representation of disability in fairy tales and how these connections persist through time and affect us today. So a bit about how I found this book and how I came to choose it. I believe I first heard about this book from Kendra Winchester, who is a YouTuber and podcaster, host of the podcast Reading Women. Uh, and I believe she spoke really highly of this book on her YouTube channel, and I just added it to my Goodreads without thinking much about it. And then uh, last year, I was researching for my episode on The Little Mermaid, and I thought about, you know, the representation of legs and walking, um, both in the original fairy tale and in the Disney version. And so I looked for some discourse and criticism on that, and I rediscovered Disfigured on my 
shelf on Goodreads and I found a copy and I read just the chapter on The Little Mermaid uh, just kind of as a resource and reference when I was writing the episode. I loved that chapter so much uh, and I wanted to make the book a book club pick because I knew I would love the rest of it too and I hoped that the audience would love it too. And I've given myself away here. (laughs) I absolutely loved this book. Uh, It's kind of surprising to me that some of my favorite books I've read this year so far have been nonfiction because I usually don't read a lot of nonfiction. Just to show you how much this book impacted me, if I'm reading a book for the podcast, I'll usually highlight some of my favorite quotes from the book, um, especially if I'm reading it on my iPad because it's so easy. Or I'll, you know, dog ear pages or write down themes that I wanted to talk about in the episode. And usually when I look back at my notes on my iPad, I'll have like five to ten highlighted quotes. For Disfigured, I have 66 highlights on my iPad. And I think that just shows how much I loved this book and how eloquently Leduc wrote about certain ideas or topics. Before I get into this discussion, I would like to note... uh, that Leduc states in her introduction, quote, disability is not a monolith. Every disabled person's experience in the world is different, and the way we all navigate the world is likewise varied and complex, end quote. So this is important too uh, in framing the discussion around disability in this podcast. Uh, My discussion is directly in response to the way Amanda speaks from her own experience and unpacks disability in the book. I also want to note that throughout this discussion, I will be following Leduc's lead in using identity-first language. As Leduc writes, quote, Identity-first language, disabled person, holds that the disabled identity is an important part of what makes someone a person in the first place, inextricably bound up with how someone navigates the world. Person-first language, by contrast, argues that an individual must be seen as a person first and someone with a disability second, person with a disability. The general consensus among disability activists is that person-first language, while well-meaning, separates disability from identity and thus continues to malign disability and perpetuate the idea that it is a negative thing, end quote. So my word choice and terminology that I use throughout this discussion will be informed by the words and terminology Amanda uses in her book. Leduc begins the book talking about her personal history with disability and how she was diagnosed with cerebral palsy from a young age and was in and out of hospital when she was a young child. At the same time, Leduc talks about the history of fairy tales. Some of this I already knew from my research for the podcast, uh, but her analysis of the form of the fairy tale and how its purpose has evolved was so insightful. She talks about how fairy tales were oral in nature before they were ever written down. So they were passed down from person to person by them just telling them, so bedtime stories to children, etc. And She talks about how the fact that these stories have kept their shape over thousands of years makes them both, quote, stronger than most other stories we tell, and yet, subject to the whims of oral retelling, also that much more delicate, end quote. I thought this was such an insightful understanding of the fairy tale and its power, because it shows how much power the individual recounting the fairy tale has over the story, um, and also shows how The oral retellings of these stories have consciously perpetuated certain archetypes and ideas. 
The strength of the fairy tale also directly relates to the strength of the ideas it perpetuates. And so Leduc begins on a journey of looking at how disability is represented in fairy tales and why these fairy tales are so much more than just stories. So rather than certain themes that I would talk about with a fiction book, I've broken down my notes into a few key ideas categories. And the first one I want to talk about is understanding disability and framing disability as a fairy tale. Leduc talks about three models that frame disability in our world today. The social model, the medical model, and the charity model. The social model, quote, holds that the disability of individuals is, in fact, maintained by systemic barriers, exclusion, and negative attitudes towards these disabilities more than the physical limitations of the conditions themselves, end quote. So Leduc talks about how the social model understands that a wheelchair user is deliberately excluded from a building with an inaccessible doorway. She writes, quote, In the social model, there is emphasis on creating space for wheelchairs that accommodate a body that cannot walk, as opposed to the need to walk at all costs. So the social model is contrasted with the medical model, which, quote, links a body directly to diagnosis and places emphasis on the intervention of medicine as a way of solving or eradicating the particular disability or condition, end quote. And the medical model is what Amanda Leduc encountered when she was a young child, when she had multiple surgeries to help her walk, quote unquote, normally. And she also talks about how the medical model parallels the structure of a fairy tale. Of the medical model, Leduc writes, quote, it's not society that needs to be fixed. It's the person who is broken, end quote. And finally, in the charity model, quote, the disabled person is someone to be pitied and saved by both the medical and social establishments, end quote. Leduc also touches on how charity functions as a way of reinforcing existing social structures that oppress disabled people. But for the moment, I would like to return to the medical model, because this idea of fixing or curing disability is one that we see mirrored in fairy tales. Leduc puts forth many examples of disability and physical difference in fairy tales and how if these traits are possessed by the hero and not the villain, they are often fixed, cured, or magicked away by the end of the story. In contrast, disability and physical differences remain with villains because they are a shorthand for um, identifying a character as evil or broken in some way. But some well-known examples in which uh, the hero's disability is magicked away by the end of the story include Beast in Beauty and the Beast. His hideous form is magicked away as he learns to love and someone learns to love him in return. His beautiful exterior by the end of the story matches his beautiful interior. <laughs> Another example is the Little Mermaid who doesn't have a voice on land and who in the original story feels pain like stabbing glass each time she walks. But her tale, get it, tale, anyway, can be understood and read in two ways, with the original Hans Christian Andersen ending or the Disney film ending. In the Hans Christian Andersen ending, the Little Mermaid fails to win the heart of the prince, dives into the sea, and dies. In the Disney version, the Little Mermaid gets her prince, her voice, and her legs. Leduc writes, quote, So suddenly we have two versions of the tale. 
one in which the disability is vanished and the abled body reigns supreme, and another in which the disability is permanent and leads to grief and suffering. End quote. So both versions of The Little Mermaid reinforce the idea that happiness and success can only be achieved if disability is overcome. And as is the case with both Beauty and the Beast and The Little Mermaid and many other fairy tales, it is never the society that must change and always the individual. Leduc writes, quote, It is almost always the protagonists themselves who transform in some way, becoming more palatable, more beautiful, more easily able to fit into the mold of society already in place, end quote. Never before have I read someone put this phenomenon so simply and eloquently into words. And we see this idea manifest not only in fairy tales, but in our world as well. I know that for me personally growing up, I wanted to minimize any differences I had from my peers in an effort to, you know, quote unquote, fit in. Um, Because the stories we're told from a young age show that to be different is to be dangerous and the cruel world will not change. So you have to change how you fit into it. As Leduc puts it, quote, individual responsibility and also individual failure, end quote. She also talks about how disability is framed as the fault of the disabled person in both fairy tales and the real world. Quote, the happy ending somehow always involves a body that does exactly what it's supposed to do all of the time. And if you don't manage to get that body, it's somehow entirely your fault. Society has nothing to do with it. End quote. In this case, Leduc is referencing the original ending of The Little Mermaid fairy tale. It's The Little Mermaid's fault for signing a dodgy deal with the sea witch that set her up for failure, rather than the human society's fault for not accommodating her in their world. So framing disability as something that must be and often is in fairy tales overcome also turns disability into a symbolic thing rather than a lived thing. Leduc brings up the example of a fairy tale called Simple Hans, which is quite a long and complicated fairy tale that I won't recount for you here. (laughs) But the gist is that our title character, Simple Hans, is a, quote, crooked hunchback who is, quote, not particularly smart. And through the fairy tale magic of the plot, Simple Hans is transformed into a handsome and clever prince, which teaches his wife, the princess, a valuable lesson. A similar plot device is used in Beauty and the Beast. Beauty's reward for learning to love this hideous creature is that he isn't a hideous creature after all. He's always been a beautiful and clever prince. Leduc writes, quote, Once that lesson is learned, there is no need for the disability anymore, end quote. Fairy tales often turn disability into a metaphor or a symbol or a lesson to be learned. And so it mythologizes disability so that it's not a real lived experience, but rather a magical thing. But this is where Leduc frames disability itself as a fairy tale. And this discussion of the experience of a disabled person as a fairy tale itself was my favorite part of the book. Leduc talks about how all fairy tales follow a general formula and certain story conventions, which I'm sure you're all familiar with. Our protagonist has a problem, whether that's the oppression they're facing from their evil stepmother, or they want to be a part of a world in which they don't belong, or maybe it's just that they're simply poor. 
The protagonist then must go on a quest to either solve or overcome their problem. The girl goes to the ball, or goes to live with dwarves, or goes on land to win the heart of the prince, or the boy plants magic beans and climbs up the beanstalk. And then the final part of the story is the return. The downtrodden girl returns to her rightful status as princess next to her prince, or she returns to the sea as sea foam, or the boy returns from the beanstalk with gold and jewels. Leduc draws parallels between the narrative of the fairy tale and the narrative of disability. She writes, quote, a child is born with a cyst in her brain, but should have been born with none, and therefore the reasons for it must be uncovered. Otherwise, how to place her? How to understand where she fits in the world? The narrative around her disability follows the same structure as the fairy tales she reads in bed at night with her mother. Problem, quest, return. End quote. And with this discussion around disability as a fairy tale... Leduc also brought in a bigger conversation around the intersection of science and storytelling. In the history of our culture and understanding the body and its differences, Leduc writes, quote, Without the capacity of science to understand that which doesn't fit in line, it only makes sense that stories are the first things to make that space, end quote. I thought this was such a fascinating parallel to highlight because it speaks to the inextricable link between storytelling and the way our culture and society exists today. Leduc brings in the comparison of changelings. So changelings were babies that were said to have been switched by the fairies at birth. The fairies take a human baby and leave a fairy baby in its place. And changelings were not special things to be revered or celebrated. In contrast, changelings were feared and despised. And the story of the changeling manifested in a very real way. Parents whose babies were acting strange or different believed that their child had been switched by the fairies. And the parents would subsequently leave the baby out in the snow in the hopes that the fairies would switch the baby back. However, often, as I'm sure you can gather, the baby did not survive the night in the snow. Leduc writes, quote, Tellingly, the question of whether a child was a changeling or not was directly tied to whether the child showcased visible disabilities at birth, or, in the cases of later development, whether the child-slash-young person exhibited behaviour that was thought at the time to be incomprehensible or strange, end quote. And I think this is an idea that can be seen all throughout history, creating magical stories as an explanation and then relying on those stories as justification. An example that comes to my mind is the phenomenon of the witch trials. So witch trials tended to target women who did not fit the norm. They were often unmarried, outspoken, interested in self-education... In this context, the difference isn't tied to disability, as far as we know. Um, it is, however, still tied to difference as a concept. In this case, witchcraft is an explanation as to why these women are defying the norm, and it also justifies the drastic response taken to eradicate it. In the absence of understanding, whether it's of culture or science, stories, particularly fairy stories with magic, are used to explain behaviours, and then furthermore to justify society's often cruel response to these behaviours. And through this we can see just how much the stories we tell impact the way our society functions and the ideas it upholds. At the end of her section on changelings, Leduc writes, quote, 
How many lives have been smothered or disappeared or haven't been allowed to flourish because of the stories we tell? End quote. Oh man, this quote really hit me hard. <laughs> I mean, this is this is a key idea that Leduc really drives home throughout the book. And it's an idea that is so important to me because the stories we tell matter so much. And that's why it's so important to include everyone in these stories. There are so many great quotes about the importance of storytelling and how it influences our culture. But here's a particular one that I think really captures it. Quote, if society is used to not seeing disabled people in stories, society becomes used to not seeing disabled people in real life. If society is used to not seeing disabled people in real life, society will continue to build a world that makes it exceedingly difficult for disabled people to participate in said world, thus perpetuating the problem. End quote. She just so explicitly put into words the direct link between the stories we tell and the world we create with them, and how if we change our stories, we can change, or rather save, the world. And as well as loving the ideas explored in the book, I also loved the way it was written. Amanda LaDuke really cleverly melded personal anecdotes with broader criticisms and analyses. She interspersed her essays with excerpts of her doctor's notes from when she was first diagnosed with cerebral palsy, and I loved how this further highlighted the links between disability and fairy tales. Her doctor's notes read almost like a story in itself. It was very literary in the way it was written. I also loved the way Leduc incorporated fairy tale-like prose and metaphors into her writing. For example, she writes, quote, The rage melded with despair that wound its way around my heart and ribs, like the vines that climbed the stones of Sleeping Beauty's castle, end quote. I really love this technique because we see layers upon layers of fairy tales in this book. We've got the deconstruction of the fairy tale, disability as a fairy tale, and fairy tale imagery is incorporated into the writing itself. If you can't tell already, <laughs> I really, really loved this book. Of course, it melds two things I love, fairy tale scholarship and sociology, but I also think the idea is so well executed. It's written in a way that's really accessible and easy to understand, but it clearly drives home the message she's trying to get across. To end this discussion, I want to leave you with another quote from Disfigured. Leduc writes, quote, I have no need of rescue. I want more than the stories that posit the strong as those who survive and protect the rest of us. I want stories where people are not applauded for embracing difference, but instead reshape the world so that difference is the norm. End quote. Thank you very much for listening to this discussion episode of our book club pick. I can now reveal that our book club pick for May is The Prime of Miss Jean Brodie by Muriel Spark. This is a 1961 novella about an eccentric teacher and the six pupils she takes under her wing. It's a really short classic, very accessible, so I hope you read along with us. I'll be discussing this on Sunday the 30th of May. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you liked it, feel free to check out other episodes or you can subscribe on your favorite podcast app. I put out episodes every Sunday. You can also follow me on Instagram at the underscore community underscore library. Other than that, I hope you're all taking care of yourselves and I will chat to you next week. Bye.